Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, coming to you one day after the Pistons' 31-point loss to the Chicago Bulls. Not exactly a bright moment on the season. The team has now lost three straight games, and that puts them a game and a half out of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. This podcast was recorded right before the Bulls game, but we actually do talk about the team's struggles, uh, and that definitely has not changed after the Bulls game at all. Uh, I think the best way to summarize that Bulls game is a lot of what SVG said in his press conference. Things need to change. It was a poor effort all the way around, and it just wasn't enough to get it done. So on this episode, we actually talk about some of those changes. We talk about the idea of putting John Luer into the starting lineup, what that looks like, and some of the possible downsides of moving Luer into the starting unit, as well as answer many fan questions as part of the mailbag episode. I said just a few episodes ago that we promised you a mailbag and we deliver right before the holidays. In part, a special thank you to everyone who has continued to support this podcast, has interacted with this podcast, asked questions, shared it with your friends. We're part of such a great community at DetroitBadBoys.com. Very lucky to do this podcast for all of you. And thank you for continuing to support this podcast. The best way to do so, if you haven't already, subscribe to it on iTunes. Rate it on iTunes if you get a chance. And also find archived episodes at blogtalkradio.com slash Detroit Bad Boys. Lot to cover on this episode. We've got a lot of work to do, so I think it's time to go to work. So on for our first mailbag of the season. Uh, I'm I'm excited to have Jamie back on the podcast. This is the first time since the season preview, so I'm glad to have you back on, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing good. Likewise, excited to uh, be back on. Not not too excited given the uh, recent string of games from the Pistons, but uh, excited to be talking to you guys about it. Yes, uh, coming off these last two, it's it's been a little rough, but yeah, we I think we have some things that coming from the mailbag that can get us kind of excited about the future here. So, uh, and and of course Ben Golker on for another episode. How are you, Ben? Hey guys, good to be back. Ditto everything Jamie just said. <laughs> well, let's let's start off at the top. Uh, the most recent game against the Pacers, a one hundred five ninety loss. Uh, I want to start the mailbag with actually a question that was posed from the recap on DBB. And that, uh, and that is, is it time for the Pistons to look in the mirror? Is it is it time for this team to maybe get a little reflective on, you know, the roster, the minutes, how we're playing? Do we have big questions on the table right now, or are these last two losses not as much to worry about? So, Jamie, I'll, I'll start with you. Are you do you have major concerns after these last two losses? Um. Yeah. Definitely. I. I, I don't think you can. Uh be someone that watched these past couple games and, and not be pretty pretty damn concerned with uh, the direction the team is heading. They were just, um, both from a numbers perspective and like an eye test perspective, just glaring holes and, and uh, lack of effort on both the defensive and offensive end that just stood out. Um, I, I, I think now's the time you got to do it because uh, we have quite the stretch coming up um, outside of traveling to Chicago Monday. Then you got Memphis and then you got the the best Christmas gift ever, the Warriors and Cavs, uh, two games and three nights. Um, so I think now is the time to really like confront these demons uh, before you head into a, a pretty tough stretch of games. And I'll save the the questions about biggest demons um, for the for the next for the next question. Actually, we'll kind of answer that. Uh, so, Ben, is it time for this team to look in the mirror? Yeah, absolutely. I I was actually glad. I know there were some mixed reactions on the blog about the players only meeting. You know, a lot of those a lot of times those meetings get blown out of proportion, and I think people look at those as sort of like a panic button, and players are turning against coaches and yada yada yada. Uh, but to me, I was glad to see the team taking ownership of itself. Um, players holding themselves accountable is a good thing, in my opinion. And, you know, it's pretty clear if you look at what Marcus had to say specifically, it's pretty clear that there are some players who are really frustrated, not just with the losing, but the way the team is performing, uh, specifically on offense. And um, if you go to Detroit Bad Boys, if you haven't already, um, you can read the three-on-three that a bunch of us did uh, kind of this afternoon. And I, I think there's some real questions about... Um, 
what is this team going to be moving forward and and how much of the load are specific players going to carry and uh, is that taking away opportunities from other players i think those are all good questions i think it's good that they're asking them of each other the challenge is to do it in a constructively critical way rather than in a negative way uh, you know obviously from where we're sitting we don't know exactly how that talk went down but um, you know, we've got some volatile players on the team, but we've also got some real level-headed players on the team. So uh, hopefully those those comments were shared in an honest and, and constructive way, uh, and it results in some changes on the court. Well, with talking about changes on the court, what um, would you find most concerning about the last two? Yeah, so, I mean, there's some really obvious ones. I mean, we do not have a bench. Our backup uh, shooting guard position is we're getting nothing out of Darren Hilliard. We're still not really getting much out of Stanley Johnson, although he's taking some baby steps. And obviously, uh, missing Lure, that's a big loss. He's become a really important player. So those are kind of the obvious personnel things. But uh, personally, I'm actually really concerned with Reggie Jackson. Um, I don't want to be overly critical of him because I think he does deserve some benefit of the doubt right now coming off an injury. We all know that story. Um, But to me, you know, the... The concerns from other players appear to be that the ball is stopping and the ball is not moving. And um, I think the bulk of that rests with Reggie Jackson. Um, I think two real reasons. First reason, um, if you look at some of the advanced numbers, you can look at what players are doing per 100 possessions. And right now, Reggie Jackson is far and away taking the most shots of anybody else on the team. Prior to Reggie coming back, we had three guys taking 20 shots per 100 possessions, Tobias, Marcus, and Drummond. And then everything else was pretty evenly distributed among the rest of the role players. Since Reggie's got back, only Tobias has maintained his 20 shots per 100. Marcus and Drummond have both dropped below that. And Reggie is taking a staggering 26 shots per 100 possessions. So um, in addition to the fact that he's shooting the ball abysmally, um, He's taking far too many shots, and then his assist rate is way down as well. He's having a career-low assist rate, at least for his time with the Pistons, by a a very significant margin. So, you know, I don't want to say everything and anything is one player's fault, because basketball is a five-man game. Um, But right now, I mean, since Reggie's come back, the offense has stalled out, and I think a lot of it has to do with the way that he's playing. Jamie, how concerned are you about, I'll ask you first about Reggie Jackson and then what other major concerns do you have about the team? Yeah, I think um, to kind of go off of what Ben was saying, I think it's really like this perfect storm of scenarios right now that just all kind of came together and put forth like the worst week ever for the Pistons. You had Reggie coming back. I think we were a little quick to just throw him in the starting position. I would have liked to see... um, him get a little more run with the bench because uh, you can tell from the way he's playing, he's he's pressing, he's trying to play himself back into starting shape, um, and I think that's why he's taking so many shots and not looking uh, to pass as much. I think he's he knows he's not a hundred percent, and he and he's um, it's kind of selfishly trying to get back to that level without thinking of the team, um, and I think the makeup of our team. It's a lot of isolation-dependent guys. Like, Marcus is excellent in ISO. Tobias, excellent in ISO. KCP's kind of been the lone bright spot, and that's, uh, you know, that's why I think he's still having, like, pretty good assist numbers through this bad stretch. Um, and even Drummond's pressing. Uh, if he doesn't get involved offensively early in games, um, he, you can tell he kind of starts sulking. Um, but for me, like, all that aside, the biggest issue with the past three, four games has been the defensive effort. Um, particularly closing out on perimeter, uh, on the perimeter. I mean, just looking at what Dallas did uh, before that fourth quarter comeback, they were getting every corner three they wanted, every like any three they wanted they had clean. Same thing with Washington, same thing with Indiana. Guys just weren't closing out on shooters. Um, and if you look at the field goal percentages and the three-point percentages from our opponents, you can tell they're get, they're getting time to get those shots up. Um, and that's all effort. Like, you know, it's, offensively, you can have off nights. I live with that. But the defensive uh, effort the past three games has been really, really disheartening. Ben, are you more worried about the offense or the defense right now? Yeah, I'm going to 
I'm going to say both because I think there's some symbiotic stuff happening, and I like what Van Gundy had to say on it, so I'll just read his quote uh, that Vince Ellis had in the free press. Our offensive frustration is affecting us at the defensive end, and we're losing heart a little bit. That's concerning. The offense has not been moving the way it should. The ball is not moving. Uh, and then Marcus echoed that, and, and he kind of said, you know, if guys are open and they're not getting the ball, it's frustrating, and and players are going to sort of give up a little bit. And I don't think he's trying to make excuses. He just kind of says, you know, that's just the way it is. That's just how basketball players operate. If you're wide open and you don't get the ball, it's hard to stay focused in other places. So I think they're feeding into each other. Um, for better or worse, I don't think um, that's what you want to see, obviously. You want to see your defensive um, effort and intensity be consistent, regardless of what's happening on offense. But, you know, that's just not the reality for you know basketball players at any level. If you're feeling involved in the offense, you're going to be more committed to defense, I think, for 99% of basketball players. So, yeah, I think it's both of those things, and I think Stan and Marcus are completely right. They're just feeding off each other right now, and it's a really, you know, it's kind of a nasty negative feedback loop. I also think that they're, like, Ish was so pass-first, and I, I feel like before Reggie came back, those two weeks uh, before he came back, the starters really clicked with Ish's kind of um, style of play and the way he looked to distribute. And then all of a sudden, you have it switch again um, from where now they got to adjust to Reggie coming back in his style of play, which is very much more like looking to attack and looking to score with him and Drummond as opposed to moving the ball around. So like I said before, I think it's this perfect storm of a lot of unstable situations going on. Yeah, and so... Following up on that point a little bit, I think one of the things that um, really worked, in spite of the fact that the team was only, well, I think, one game over 500 when Reggie got back, so we're only talking about a two-game swing here, but one of the things that worked with a pass-first point guard like Ish was that Tobias Harris really blossomed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he he had the opportunity to have the ball in his hands. He was the ball handler in the pick-and-roll, and really a lot of it was flowing through him and then through Marcus, and... You know, I, I haven't done a deep dive into the numbers, but just from what I'm seeing, it looks to me like he and Reggie are not on the same page and don't have that kind of chemistry going, and they haven't quite figured out how to play with each other, at least not this season. So to me, those are your two most versatile, most dynamic offensive players, and they're not on the same page. You know, Reggie was injured, they didn't have training camp, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I think they're just sort of – when one has the ball, the other is just standing around. Yeah. And that's sort of trickling down to the rest of the players. Oh, Jamie, do you, did you have something to add to that? No, Ben nailed it. I, I can't I can't perfect that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect. We'll leave it right there. I, I think one of the few bright spots has been KCP, even with the return of Reggie Jackson, because I think you're right. The offense definitely looks different, and I think it is affecting how the team is playing overall. Um but I think KCP has been pretty steady, uh, even in these, you know, uh, the four games and five nights. I think he's looked pretty good. Uh, and Ryan Caldwell actually had a question in one of the game threads that can you consider KCP this season to be a superstar at his position? Now, part of that is, of course, how you probably define that. But if we even broaden that out, is he is he in consideration for maybe, you know, is he a borderline all star for you this season? Ben, I'll start with you. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan, I don't mean to rain on the parade, but I I don't think Contavious is in the top half of shooting guards in the NBA right now, in terms of, at least in terms of starting shooting guards. Let me phrase it. He's definitely in the top half in terms of all shooting guards. But to me, yes, he's been better as the season has gone on, and I think, yes, he is the... Surprisingly, he's sort of the stabilizing factor, which you don't necessarily expect from a guy like him who doesn't have a really significant role in the offense necessarily. I mean, he's not a guy you know, who's going to get you a ton of points on any given night. But certainly his defensive focus, when all is going wrong, you can count on KCP playing hard D. And I think that's a valuable thing for the Pistons. I, I don't think he's anywhere close to superstar yet. Um, and, I you know, I don't know if he ever will be because I'm not sure that his offensive game will be good enough. Um, but defensively, I mean, he's certainly very, very good to, to elite on the defensive end. So... Um, if that's how you want to define superstar, then maybe you can sort of make the case. But to me, he's a better than average shooting guard, um, and he's very good defensively. Yeah, Jimmy, what do you think? Where do you rank KCP amongst shooting guards? I think better than average is a good place to start. Um, I think 
he's probably in the 70th percentile of starting shooting guards. So I, I don't know. I would categorize that as like, uh, he's not an all-star, uh, but he's more effective than most, more than half. Um, I think what he does on the defensive end is obvious. His offensive game uh, is frustrating, I, but I think we as Pistons fans are maybe too close to it to have a truly objective view of what he brings to a team. Um, I, I think he's he's played really, really well for us this year, and it's um, it's funny to think back on that first podcast I joined you guys where we went through so many KCP trades and <laughs> debating if we should even pay the guy. And I think he's kind of put that question to bed. You either pay him or you got to make a, a deal because um, his play so far has warranted uh, him getting a contract from whether it be the Pistons or, or someone else for more money. I mean, he's he's earning that check. Yeah, I agree. He's definitely played himself into making a little bit more money. I will say that KCP in wins is probably a, just a step below all-star level this year. Uh, but there's a huge difference between his splits in wins and in losses. Uh, 16 points a game in wins, shooting 46% uh, his field goal percentage. And then in losses, 36% field goal percentage and just over, I think, 12 points a game. So you're seeing a pretty big difference offensively uh, in terms of you know just his efficiency and his output in wins and losses. I think what we're seeing when the team is playing well and when the team is winning is that you're you're getting a guy that could be considered maybe close to that that top ten of shooting guards, but that's about as far as I can push it. And even there, I, I don't know how comfortable I feel uh, because there's so many younger players in the NBA that I like at that two guard spot right now. I think uh, the thing that is quietly happening and it's just getting overlooked because the Pistons are struggling is KCP shooting I think like 38% from deep this season. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna after say. struggling mightily right at the start of the season. So, I mean, there's absolutely no question. Anybody who can play defense and shoot the ball like that, if he can hold 36 to 38% for the rest of the season, somebody's going to throw a whole bunch of money at him because you're talking about an elite defensive player and above average three point shooter. That's your prototypical three and D guy. And he's also good on the break in transition. So, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as we, as I was thinking about the podcast was it kind of reminds me of like the Harrison Barnes situation, right? Not in that, you know, the Pistons are the super duper elite team and KCP is sort of the fifth guy. But in the sense that you've She's got Reggie, you've got Tobias, and you've got Drummond, who are all getting a lot of usage. And then you've got KCP sort of quietly scoring 14, 15 points a game and shooting the ball from three really well. Is someone going to want to throw a bunch of money at him and make him the number two option? That seems certainly within the realm of possibility. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the hard thing to measure with KCP is that he really is, like, the third option on offense consistently. Um, I I think the games where, you know, he plays a little bit better or kind of catches our eye or maybe when he's a little more aggressive on offense, and sometimes that doesn't happen for KCP until the third or fourth quarter of a game. Um, So it's... Yeah, I think the Harrison Barnes comparison is dead on. It's He's a question mark. We don't really know what to make of him because the system he's in is uh, is just very curious for him, I guess. And with the way he's played, it does make it interesting if we're at the deadline and the team is still floating around 500 and right on that break of the playoffs, if he's going to be considered a part of the long term. I, I know it's, it sounds like Bauer and SVG are saying all the right things about keeping KCP, but I have to think that if a team is interested in someone that can offer, yeah, the defense that he brings and also the three-point shooting this year, which you're right, Ben, is a huge improvement, that that might be enough to maybe make him a little more valuable and could bring something back. Uh, and we're about to talk a lot about trades, so I'll hold off on that because I, I'm sure there will be more KCP being thrown into weird trade rumors uh, on all sorts of blogs in the next few weeks. Yeah, well, and the other thing, too, is I, I think he's improved with the basketball in his hands. In his first couple seasons, it was almost like hot potato with him. Like, either he caught it, caught it and put up a shot quickly, or he caught it and passed it really quickly. There was very little off the dribble, and that meant very little creation for himself or his teammates this season. His assists have almost doubled per game, and that's another thing that's just sort of quietly being overlooked, is that he's improved uh, his off-the-dribble game quite a bit 
as well, not necessarily in terms of creating for himself, I don't think, but in terms of um, looking to drive and dish, which is another valuable skill for a 3-and-D wing player. I think he was, did he lead an assist uh, against Indiana last night? I want to say he did at one point, but I don't know if he ended that way. Yeah, if I had kept the game on until the end, I might have been able to tell you that, but I, uh, I kind of shut it off in disgust at the yeah, end. There. I can't blame you on that one. Well, let's uh, let, let's move on and, and, and talk a little bit more about this. I, let's let's focus on the rotation a little bit more. I've got a question from SJE. This came in the, the Pacers game thread. T-minus how many games until Lure starts? And Vince Ellis today just had a great article about John Luer and the possibility of fitting him into the starting rotation. Just to quickly kind of summarize that for any uh, everyone, and just you know, it's a good article to read. John Luer uh, brought in in the off season, definitely had a, SVG had a role in mind uh, with the way he's played. Possibly that role is expanding. Uh, he did just miss the Pacers game because of back spasms, so we're not sure how soon uh, he could see an, an increase in time or even. Uh, find his way into the starting unit. But, Ben, I guess I'll ask you, how many games until Lure starts, and, and do you expect him to start at some point this season? Gosh, I, I have so many mixed feelings about this. Um, I think it really depends on what your personal diagnosis of the team's struggles are right now. Um, to me, I think the struggles are in the backcourt, especially depth at the two and the three. And I'm not entirely sure what starting Lure gets you unless... The idea is Marcus Morris is sort of your super sub who transforms the second unit. I can't imagine that you would bench Tobias after the offensive output he's put on display, especially in the first 20 games of the season. To me, Tobias is just a much better player on the offensive side of the court. Defensively, you know, I don't know if Tobias can guard most threes in the NBA. I think he, he's really kind of stuck in a tweener situation there. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't... I just don't see what starting Lure gets you. He's already playing 26 minutes a game, 27 minutes a game, which is a lot. Um, but you're taking away minutes from either Tobias and or Marcus, and those are two of your top four players already. So I, I guess I just don't know what problem that solves when, you know, from my perspective, the problem is really the backcourt. And Jamie, what do you think? Is it worth looking at getting John Lohr in the starting unit, or do you kind of agree with Ben that there are issues elsewhere? I, I think, to take it even further, I think it's it's a no-go. Like, I, I can't even believe it's a, a point of discussion. Um, I just don't think it's re- realistic or reasonable to think we're going to play John Lohr more than 30 minutes a game. Um, I also think part of the reason... He has been playing so well, to me, uh, is the way he runs the floor with Ish. Uh, I think that helps that second unit immensely, not only just in him getting easy buckets, but also in the spacing. Uh, It gives them in transition. You can have guys like KCP, Tobias Marcus, or, um, you know, Stanley kind of spot up at in the corner for threes um, because you have Ish and Lure running the floor so well. Um, I don't think he's going to have that same impact with Reggie. I just think that doesn't really mesh well with Reggie and Drummond's game. And I just offensively, I, I don't, it doesn't make as much sense to me to put him in the starting five. Yeah. And let's extend this out just a little bit because part of what uh, Vince Ellis talks about in his article is if John Lure it, uh, takes a spot in the starting unit, it's going to be either Tobias Harris or Marcus Morris's spot. Uh, if it's Tobias, that probably makes him more of a focal point of the second unit. Maybe there's a way to keep his minutes uh, close to the same, have him play more at the small forward spot. Um, but if he if he takes that spot, then maybe it just makes him kind of a, a super six man. Um, Marcus Morris, if he were to take Marcus Morris's role, maybe that means a, a downgrade in minutes for Marcus Morris. Uh, and and finding him working more with the twos. Would you rather see Marcus Morris or Tobias Harris working with the second unit if Lure does start at some point this season? I'd I'd well, rather no. see Tobias take the uh, take the bench um, because gun to my head, I think Lure would be a defensive upgrade. I I don't I can't say the same on offense, obviously, but. Uh, in terms of guarding the the best three or four 
on the opposing team, I, I think Lure would be an upgrade in that category. Yeah, I'd take the different view. I would I would play Tobias at the three and see how it goes uh, and move Marcus to the bench. I think in a lot of ways you're kind of shuffling the deck and not changing the cards, and, and to me that's kind of the problem. I don't think... I just don't think it moves the needle much in any particular direction. I would say the the main weakness about moving um, Lure in place of Tobias is that you lose uh, three-point shooting and you lose a ball handler. So you've you've taken a very potentially dynamic starting five and made it much more stagnant because, frankly, Lure's offensive game is... I mean, it's just not nearly as good. He's been surprisingly competent off the dribble, but he just doesn't compare to Tobias with the ball in his hands. There's just no comparison whatsoever. And Luer hasn't shot the three ball particularly well in Detroit uh, after shooting something like 38% last year. So who knows, maybe moving into the starting lineup boosts his confidence or something. I don't know. But I just I think Tobias is a better player than Luer. I think um, Tobias is a better player than Marcus overall. Um and I, I don't understand why you would take one of your top three guys and move him to the bench when he's not playing particularly poorly. And <laughs> he he's clearly not the reason the Pistons are struggling right now. So to me, it would be, you know, why demote a guy who's done everything and more, especially over the first 20 games, um, when he's clearly not the problem for the struggles in the first place? See, that's yeah, why I think you got to spin it as it's not a demotion. It's a new opportunity for Tobias. Yeah, but no one believes that. <laughs> I'm just trying well, to spin. I'm just trying to spin. 33 minutes a game, like second on the team in minutes behind KCP. If you know you switch him and Lure, you're only talking about seven minutes, but seven minutes is a lot. Um, so I, I don't know. I just don't I don't see how that solves the backup shooting guard problem at all because Darren Hilliard has not been good no matter who he plays with except for I think maybe one or two games. And I don't see what that does for Stanley Johnson. And – it doesn't help Reggie Jackson. So I don't know. I just don't see what it accomplishes. Yeah. So, Ben, I thought you had a really nice transition there, talking about shuffling the deck but not changing cards. Hey, let's talk that. about changing some cards. I'm so stealing that line. That was, that was beauty. I like that, yeah. Uh, we, we've got a ton of questions about trades, in part because the last few weeks there's been a lot of trade rumors posted to different websites. Uh, DBB has picked up on a few of them. Um and then there are some more just speculative names out there in the NBA world that I think are worth at least discussing. And they've been brought to us by some some fan questions. So I've got Buzzard Beater here, uh, who in the Pacers game thread was talking about comparing Andre Drummond and DeMarcus Cousins. And if the Pistons could get someone like DeMarcus Cousins, would you first be willing to give up Andre Drummond? And if not, could you see the Pistons getting DeMarcus Cousins and playing him with Andre Drummond? So I know there's two very different questions there. Uh, let's start with the first one. If you could get DeMarcus Cousins, would you give up Andre Drummond? Andre's making $22 million this year. Boogie's making 16.9. So you could probably make those contracts work. I know a bigger name, people always worry about contracts. But DeMarcus is on a pretty reasonable deal. Uh, so Ben, I'll start with you. Uh, if it meant getting DeMarcus Cousins, would you give up Andre Drummond? I don't want DeMarcus Cousins under just about any <laughs> set of possible circumstances. <laughs> so this one is pretty easy for me. Um, I The joke on DBB has always been that DeMarcus is a taller, fatter Iverson. And I think wow. he's outplayed that moniker, I think, a little bit as he's developed. He's not as horribly inefficient. Um, but to me, like, yeah, Drummond takes some flack for not always being 100% engaged, and he takes some flack about his attitude. But multiply that by five, and that's what you're talking about with DeMarcus Cousins. So I don't understand why you'd swap the two, all things considered. I mean, you're talking about a few million dollars. Um, it's not going to make a difference to the owner to pay that money one way or the other. So to me, Drummond is um, not as good offensively, right? Obviously, he's not as good in the post. He's not as good of a passer. Um, but he's a better rebounder, and frankly, I think a much better in terms of a locker room presence and an attitude, even with some of the challenges he's had. So, yeah, to me, I, I just wouldn't do that trade. And putting them together, I, I mean, if you can't make Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond work, I don't know how you're going to make Cousins yeah. and Drummond work. So to me, that's almost like Stan just would never do that. 
So I just I don't see that as even really something worth talking about too much. I just had PTSD flashbacks of like spacing <laughs> issues of the Drummond, yeah. Greg Monroe, Josh Smith days. Maybe yeah, we I could uh, go sign Josh Smith and roll like the big jumbo. Oh man, that'd be that'd be a move right there. <laughs> I'm sure he's open. We are to still it. paying him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. How would that work under the CBA? Could we just pay him what we're already paying him, or? That 5.5 stretch per year. Yeah, we can just give that to him. <laughs> Is there like a double jeopardy rule? Like you can't pay the same player two contracts? Oh, man. I, will I don't say... know. Am I overly harsh on Cousins? I just <laughs> – I, I don't think his offense – I just don't think he's that great of a player. To me, like he puts up a lot of empty totals, right? Like he doesn't score particularly efficiently, but he gets a lot of points. His attitude isn't particularly good. He's had problems with multiple coaches over the course of his career. I don't know. I just don't understand the attraction to him. But maybe there's stuff I'm just not seeing. So. I think, Ben, the thing you're not seeing is that he plays professional basketball in a city called Sacramento that has ah. had four, what is it, four different coaches um, or five different coaches in his tenure there or something ridiculous like I that. I think he's and had six in five years. Six in – that is absurd. Um, but is that a chicken and egg problem? I mean – is DeMarcus part of the reason he's had so many coaches? I mean, possibly. I, I would say, given his behavior, yes, he's absolutely part of it. But I don't think it's fair to blame all of it on him. Um, I, I don't. I think he's an overly competitive guy. I think he's just had bad habits. Um, instilled in him from being part of a losing culture for so long, I'd be really curious to see him in a change of scenery. Yeah, I mean, so to me it would be like if Van Gundy has inside information about the guy's character, that's probably the only thing that would make me feel good about that sort of a trade, if that if that makes sense. Yeah, as long as he's not getting like the Nerland's Noel uh, reports on his character, like that... I think I, I don't know if he's getting that level of hate right now. <laughs> yeah, I I will say Ben, you had brought up is it just empty stats on a bad team? And I think that's something you find out during his next stop. And it's it's similar to Kevin Love. Was that just you know putting up numbers on a on a bad team, or is it something that translates to actually being like to a winning basketball team? I, I think it's a similar situation to Kevin Love that you just have to kind of wait and see. Uh, Greg Monroe, I always kind of thought the same thing. I, I wasn't sure how that would translate, and we've kind of seen in Milwaukee that uh, it hasn't been a great fit in Milwaukee, <laughs> so that might not be completely fair. Uh, but I, I want Boogie in Detroit, so it, it, I've got a major you. bias here. I'm with you. I, I think it's possible just because he's playing more at the four. He's shooting, I will ill-advised, but he's shooting threes, so there is... You know, it's not going to completely kill the spacing. He can hit some jump shots and look, I don't know, decent doing it at times. And again, he's making a number at $16.9 million that's less than what Tobias Harris is making. So if there's if Sacramento is looking at the trade market and starts to put out feelers that Boogie's available, I think the Pistons are not going to be one of the favorites, Could be, but could be one of the teams in the periphery that... If they threw an offer, maybe it gets listened to if they feel they're getting lowballed by the teams like Boston, Dallas. I don't know who else would be considered kind of a favorite right now. Um, probably not Dallas because they're just in total tank mode, but go ahead. I think it, also just think of the, the edge of a team with Marcus, Boogie, and Reggie, like the amount of swag in that in those three players right there. Come on. The, the game threads would love that. There'd be so many gifts. It'd be great. <laughs> and I think this is the year he does get traded. Uh, the relationship with him in the media, and I'm starting to hear with the front office, is starting to fall apart. And you have Ken Cantonella, who was formerly of the Pistons, now taking on a larger role in that front office. Uh, it would be nice if he could throw us a bone and maybe work out a trade that was favorable. I had one in mind, and it was Tobias Harris and Stanley Johnson for DeMarcus Cousins and Ben McElmore. Hmm. It works out. It's about $21 million for both teams in terms of salary. So the numbers work, and it gives us a, a four that's not quite a stretch four, but can pretend to be sometimes. All right, so let me leave you with one stat. All right, okay. the only stat I'm going to drop. DeMarcus Cousins, 440 NBA games, 
Total win shares, 32.5. Andre Drummond, 332 NBA games, over 100 less games, 32.3 win shares. Do win shares tell us everything we need to know about basketball? No, absolutely not. But I do think Andre Drummond um, is a very good basketball player, and just because he doesn't score 28 points a game doesn't mean he's not as effective as DeMarcus Cousins. So I'll just, I won't go into the stats any more than that, but I just want to point out, statistically, we're not talking about, like, a totally lopsided situation here. Ben, I, I have a question. I have a question for you before we jump off this. Taking a completely, as, as well as you can, objective view, when it's all said and done for both players, who do you think will have had the better career, the better NBA career? Like, who has the higher ceiling, I guess, is a better way to phrase it. Do you think Boogie has the higher career ceiling, or do you think Drummond has the higher career ceiling? Well, I think they're both pretty close to their ceilings, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, so I don't I don't think we have to speculate too much about what their ceilings are. I think ultimately depends on what you view as particularly important to winning. DeMarcus Cousins scores a whole heck of a lot of points. Um, he does so by taking a whole lot of shots, and he's a below-average shooter for his position relative to big men averages, even taking into account the bump he gets by making the occasional three-point shot once in a while. Um, he's also a very good defensive rebounder. Um, like all high-usage bigs, his offensive rebounding numbers are low, but that's because he's shooting the ball a lot of the time. Um, so I would say with him, you basically get a high-volume scorer where if you give him you know if you give him 20 shots a game he's going to give you 25 26 27 points something along those lines and basically average rebounding numbers and defensively I mean I don't know is he any good at defense I think that's an open question um Andre Drummond is never ever going to give you what DeMarcus Cousins does offensively but I think he is already the best rebounder on the planet and I think defensively we're seeing slow baby steps that are going to make him a significantly better than defender than DeMarcus over the long term. That's just my opinion. So um, it depends on what you think is more important. If you want to go all in on offense, then DeMarcus is clearly a much better offensive player in spite of some of his efficiency issues. The other thing he does is pass the ball pretty well for a big. Um, if you want to build a team around rebounding and slow grind it out, win the battle of possessions, then I think you're going to want to build a, around a guy like Andre Drummond. I lean towards Andre because I don't particularly value guys who score a lot of points by taking a whole buttload of shots. But that's sort of a philosophical, you know, commitment and understanding of the game that I have that I recognize that everyone agrees with. So, I mean, that's a long answer to a simple question, but I mean, I go 60-40 Andre, I think is the shortest way to say it. Okay. I genuinely was curious, so. I think in two, it depends on like, okay, if you if you build around DeMarcus Cousins, then you need guys that the Pistons don't have. You need high efficiency guys, high efficiency high efficiency low usage guys who are dead eye shooters. And to me, you just don't have that. Except in maybe KCP. I mean, maybe DeMarcus and Luer make some amount of sense. I mean, don't we need that anyway? Though? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. We absolutely need that. Yeah. So like, again, it becomes a question of, are you getting new cards or are you just shuffling the deck? Like if you traded Andre for DeMarcus, if you look at something like wind shares, you're basically making a swap for overall productivity. You're just getting it in a different way. You're getting points instead of extra possessions and defense. Yeah. I think that's actually a good point because it probably changes how the team plays, but it might not really improve if the team's any better. Um, so, and that, and that's something we have to take into consideration if we, you know, are, are, are thinking about a big trade at the deadline. And I'm, I'm not even sure we're in that position. There's a very good chance that SVG could be locked into this group and could just be looking for smaller adjustments to the rotation well, and, and the, not looking to bring out somebody big. The thing I keep coming back to is that it's not the big pieces that are the problem. I mean, other than Reggie's struggles post-injury. I mean, Tobias is playing good basketball overall. Marcus is playing good basketball overall. So is Drummond. The issue is we have no bench. I mean, we have absolutely no production from the backup two and the three. So when we go to the bench, we're just hoping we don't get blown out. I mean, that's the reality of it. Yeah, that's not always a fun way to play. That's, that's, that's yeah. true. I still wouldn't mind to see DeMarcus Cousins. I don't want to lose Andre, though. 
and I, I think in, in for me it would be some move that probably involves too many picks uh, to bring in Demarcus along with Andre Drummond because I don't see us training Andre, um, and then playing Cousins at the four. So here's and... what I, here in a perfect world where we had a time machine, I would love to see a point guard like Chauncey Billups play with a big man like Demarcus, a guy who understands efficiency and possessions and running the offense with a guy like Demarcus who kind of throws all that to the wind sometime. And maybe you can have that, that sort of balance. But to me, we just don't have that guy right now. Uh, let, let's move on to another possible trade target at the deadline. Uh, Laz from DBB actually asked you, Jamie, Gallinari, good trade target or best trade target? <laughs> uh, so clearly Laz likes Gallinari. Um I think he's a good target. Uh, he solves Ben's issue with uh, the depth at the two or three, depending on... And I told Laz this on Twitter. If it's an Orlando heist where we give up, like, nothing, I'm, I'm all in for it. Uh, I just don't know if that's realistic. Um, I feel like Denver will want... A two, they'll have too high of an asking price for him. And for a guy who, you know... Tore his ACL, had ankle injury last year. I I just don't know how much you can trust him. Ben, what about you? High on Gallinari as a trade target? I really like Gallo's game, but his injury history just has me all sorts of scared. Um, I agree with everything Jamie said. If it's a heist, do it, but why would Denver do that, I guess? Yeah. They're, they're going to want to rebuild. They're going to want picks, and I don't think sacrificing our picks – necessarily make sense because we're going to be a capped out team and one of the best ways for a capped out team to improve is to draft well in the middle of the first round and and after um so i'm it's hard for me to see something working um given what i would think denver would want well speaking of the orlando heist let's move on to a question that talks a little bit about that uh chris robbins on twitter asked do you think teams will be less likely to deal with bauer and svg after they won trades at the last two deadlines so that of course is the orlando heist and the okc trade for reggie jackson which i think we can consider a win as well uh ben i'll start with you are teams going to shy away from dealing with detroit after a few good moves at the deadline the last two years no i don't think so i think if you've made it to the point in your career where you're an NBA executive, a general manager, president, whatever the title is, I would think you're pretty confident in your own abilities to evaluate and assess talent and figure out what's best for you and the team. Um, so I have a hard time seeing any NBA GM thinking, you know, oh, what do, what do Stan and, and Jeff know that I don't and I should be scared to deal with them because they have this, you know, secret pool of knowledge or something. I just don't think that's the way GMs are approaching um, improving their teams. So... No, I wouldn't see that as a concern at all. Yeah, and I will also just add to that when you're at when you're in a position like that, I can imagine also ego getting in the way. Oh, absolutely. And why would you think Bauer and SVG are smarter than you? Yeah. If you're an <laughs> NBA executive, so I can't imagine that that would stop someone from making a trade because you're afraid that you're going to get you know scalped in the deal. So, uh, Jamie, what about you? Are you worried at all that teams are less likely to to work with us? No, I mean we're all adults. Uh, <laughs> I I would be. <laughs> I'd be shocked by that. No, and or clearly Orlando had their own plan in mind getting rid of Tobias because they wanted to try Aaron Gordon out at the three, um, and they spent uh, a lot of money on uh, Ibaka in the offseason. So the, clearly they had a plan that they wanted to follow, so I don't even know if they look at it as a heist, even though the rest of the world does. Um, so, I no, I think I, I, that's kind of silly to think. Yeah, I, I think I kind of agree that it's 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 probably not something that uh, is just going to come into consideration when GMs are discussing trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with Bauer handling most of the day to day, I'm sure he knows how to work the phones and and get get a deal done for SVG. So not too worried about that. And now I actually have the last question for the mailbag, and it has to do with all of the Paul George talk that's happened over the last ten days that actually made it onto like CBS Detroit. I heard it on sports radio. It was picked up by DBB and and many other places that cover the Pistons about a rumored trade for Paul George and Monte Ellis that included Tobias Harris, KCP, Stanley Johnson, and three first round picks. Just a quick note on that. That's not 
something that happens in the NBA. You can't do three straight <laughs> first round picks anymore. It's called the Stepien rule, uh, named after Ted Stepien, who did that when he was running the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yep. And the NBA saw that as such a mistake, they made a rule against it. So you can't trade three straight first round picks anymore. Um, you have to hold on to at least one in a, in a three year span. So that part of it was not possible, but I think it's worth talking about Paul George's possible trade target. So I, I, I'm wondering if it's realistic to think the team could get Paul George. So I'll, I'll start with that. Would you like the team getting Paul George, and is it realistic, Ben? Yeah, Paul Paul George is a fantastic player. Um, I think post-injury, you know, I think there are still some lingering concerns. I think last season he was pretty good. I'm not sure if he was quite as good as he was prior to the injury. But, I mean, yeah, he's a fantastic player. He does a lot of the things that we've talked about um, that is that's missing from our roster in terms of our perimeter players. Um, is it realistic? I I don't think so. I mean, I do not want to gut the team for Paul George. Paul George is a good player, but he's not like LeBron James elite. If you if you gut the team for Paul George, I don't think you've improved. To be perfectly honest, um, so I I just don't see it as being realistic. Indiana's going to want more than Detroit is willing to give. I think that's a, a, a good place to start that kind of discussion is, is Indiana going to be asking more than Detroit's going to be comfortable with? Uh, Jamie, what do you think of Paul George's possible trade target? Um, I, I think it's a long shot, but I'm curious. I'm curious. Um, I think depending on what the asking price is, it, it might be a good move. I, I would really love to see uh, a superstar of that caliber in Detroit. I don't think um, it's something the Pistons have seen since uh, Grant Hill days. Um, So I think I'd be curious to see what a team would look like with a player of his caliber. The problem is, like, you got to figure out something to do with Drummond and Reggie. Um, I feel like one of the two have to be included in the deal. Um, and the whole scheme of the team being this pick and roll, um, spread everyone else out to shoot or attack, like that goes away. Um, you have to kind of rebuild the, the playbook around Paul George. So I don't think it's too realistic because I, I feel like there's too many roadblocks, but um, yeah, perfect world. I'd, I'd love to see a Pistons uniform on Paul George. That'd be cool as hell. <laughs> so also Monte Ellis sucks. I just want to point that out. <laughs> but great yes, I want to talk player. about Monte as well. Great NBA fantasy player. I will say that <laughs> he has been a key, like, I am a sucker for drafting Monte Ellis. I have to throw that in there. But yeah, okay, so he's terrible you, in real life. Terrible. Yeah, if life. you swap KCP for Monte Ellis, just those two guys in a vacuum, you're losing several wins right there. Yes. Okay. Yes. Very much. Yes, we, we agree on that. Uh, so, the rumored trade, Jamie. What were your initial react? What was your initial reaction to that? Did you like it? Um, and and would you be fine with the Pistons making a move like that? Let's take off the 2019 pick. So let's just call it Tobias, KCP, Stanley, the 17 and 18 first for Paul George and Monte Ellis. Are, are you uh, are you happy with that? Well, one thing about rumored trades, I went to basketball camp for like every summer when I was in middle school, grade school, whatever. Um, and part of lunch at basketball camp was the counselors would all propose these crazy NBA trades to rile the <laughs> campers up. And by my like second year, I figured out that all of them were fake, and they just tell they kept telling us that we were going to get Kobe, and I I just really didn't appreciate it. So anytime I hear a, like a proposed trade. I have just been conditioned to not react to it, not even give it <laughs> any two cents of thought. Um, so when I first heard it, I, I really didn't pay any mind. I did. The first thing I thought of, though, was the story that Reggie and Paul George did share a uh, off-season house in Marina Del Rey training together. Uh, I think it was this past off-season. Um, yes. So when I did hear it, that story came to mind. And I was like, all right, Reggie and him are boys. Like, that that could be something in play there, but no, I, I didn't really pay it much thought outside of that reference. Yeah, I, I agree. Outside of the fact that they did this off season work out together and kind of seemed like vacation together. Um, 
beyond that, there's not much of a connection. Also, making a move in the div- in the same division that involves a superstar, uh, I'm not sure the the history of that happening in the NBA. I feel like it's pretty you know low odds that something like that would happen. Uh, ben, it seems like you would be pretty upset if if that move went through. Well, let me drop another stat. Even though I said I was done, last <laughs> season. Paul George. I'm going to look at last season because it's a full season for him. Full season back from injury. Win shares per 48 minutes, 0.157. So that's like fringe all-star territory. 0.180 would be like all-star level production. So Paul George actually produced a little bit less efficiently than you want to see. Last year, Tobias in Detroit, 0.174. So he was actually better than Paul George as a Piston in terms of his box score production. So box scores, again, don't tell us everything we need to know about basketball. It's just one way to look at it. So you'd be talking about KCP and Monte Ellis. You're giving up several wins in that deal. Um, Then you're swapping Tobias and Paul George. If the box scores are even close to accurate, maybe you're pushing and maybe Paul comes up a little bit ahead because maybe Tobias's season in Detroit last year, he was playing over his head, something like that. Okay, so maybe you're at a push, right? Because you've lost wins by sending out KCP. You've gained a few back by bringing in Paul George. But then you've given up how many first-rounders, did we say? Two, I think, in your proposal. So you're going to have a capped-out team with no first-round picks. So you're basically at your ceiling. You're as good as you're going to be, and you're probably a 45-48 to win team. So have you gotten any better? You know, I don't know. That to me, Paul George to me is a good player, but I don't know that he's super duper elite. And I just don't know that he's the guy that gets the Pistons over the 50 win hump, I guess. I propose that we need a, a drop or some type of sound whenever you drop a stat, Ben, (laughs) after you say you're done dropping stats. Do we have a counter? I, I would love to know. I think I think listeners are just going to hit the mute button when they hear that drop. So <laughs> It's got to be like a cash machine, though. Like, whenever you're like, all right, I'm going to drop a stat, it's got to be like a cha-ching sound. And then at the end of the episode, it's like Ben dropped 35 <laughs> stats on you fools today. Hope you learned something. And also, to be fair to me, like, I'm down on the Pistons right now. So maybe I'm not as objective as I ought we're, to be. We're catching Ben in a really dark place right now. <laughs> Oh yeah, and I have also something a month. True, there's that too. Uh, I think it could be the uh, like old Rip Hamilton. Yes, sir. No, just give a little quick yes, sir before he just. Oh, that's funny. That's something something that might be right. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Well, I was going to counter the trade for a slightly more realistic one. Uh, ben, I feel like I already know your answer, but I'm, I'm going to throw it at you anyway. Yeah. So we're keeping Tobias, KCP, and Stanley as the players being traded to Indiana. Okay. Trading away an unprotected 17 first and a protected 2018. So let's say it's lottery protected for a year and then maybe top 10 protected the next year. So okay. they're more than likely getting that pick in 2019 or 2020. And getting back Paul George and CJ Miles. Okay. Does that move the needle at all for you uh, more than the Monte Ellis trade? Or the trade that involved Monte Ellis? Protecting the picks and swapping C.J. Miles for Monte Ellis, right? Just to make sure. Yes. Yeah, that's right. C.J. Miles, huh? C.J. Miles. Is he good? (laughs) Great question. It's a a great question. It's been so long since I've thought about C.J. Miles. Well, he's he better than Monte Ellis, right? Yeah, I mean, he played be. pretty good Saturday. I mean, he did, yeah. I I don't know if he's good though. Okay, yeah. so who's gonna play for Luer, and then Marcus would be the super sub off the bench. Yes. I think that probably. Or do you have Marcus play the four and Paul George play the three? I think you have to play Luer because someone has to rebound. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, so then you play Luer. I mean, I like that better because I think C.J. Miles is way better than Monte Ellis, right? I mean, Monte yeah. Ellis is terrible. He's playing like 30 minutes a game and scoring nine points or something stupid. It's bad. It's really bad. And can C.J. play both wing positions too? I mean, can he play two and three both? Yeah, I mean, he's getting older, but he can probably still play the two. Yeah. Uh, he actually played for Monte Ellis uh, because of an injury a few nights ago. So, And that's probably yeah. a good thing for them. 
Right, and he's still shooting forty percent really this season. Hate for Monte Ellis. Like, I'm not <laughs> I am not at all a fan of Monte Ellis. He's like, oh man, yeah. But I'm not gonna go on a. I'm, I'm just. I wish you would tell us how you really feel about him <laughs> instead of having your feelings. Yeah, he's uh, he's a great player. I really like him. <laughs> so if it's Reggie. C.J. Miles, who we're not sure if he's good. And also, if you Google C.J. Miles, it's not even the first C.J. Miles that comes up. Ooh, that's a problem. Uh, Bad yeah, SEO. also at you. Bad SEO. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. trade right there. Ask Jamie all about that. So uh, is Paul then, George like, okay, is he is he going to be better than he currently is if he's in the right situation? That's a question to which I don't know the answer. I mean, I know he's scoring a ton of points, but... Yeah. I mean, with the right coach holding him accountable, can he be a little bit better than he is now, I guess would be the question. And that's where, to me, Van Gundy, the coach, I I believe in him enough that if he felt like there's something in George's game that works particularly well with Drummond or with Reggie or whatever, that I would give Stan the benefit of the doubt. To me, the thing that gets a little bit scary is when you're capped out and you don't have any draft picks, right? Like, how do you get better? Yeah. I mean, other than a, another blockbuster trade, how do you fill seven, eight, nine in your rotation? You look at the Spurs, or you look at you know any of those perennially good teams. They draft well and they plug the holes in their rotations because the CBA works in their advantage. They can play these productive players three, four, five million dollars a year and don't end up in the luxury tax, or you know don't have to try to steal somebody with a biannual exception or whatever, right? So to me, that's a little bit scary. It just you're, you're all in for the next two years with very little ways to improve. And I will point out, this happened to Orlando under SBG as well. They didn't have any draft picks because they had traded them away to kind of shore up the team for uh, the title window that they felt they had. And once they bottomed out and Dwight left, we're still seeing that team. (laughs) Right. We're still seeing that team trying to rebuild. So it is, it is something that can cause for concern. uh, If you agree with Ben that it doesn't really improve the ceiling enough to win us a title. And I think that's the question with bringing in someone like Paul George. Does it move the needle enough to make us a t- contender? If it does, then it's probably worth it because it's so difficult to get those players. If it's not if it's not improving the team enough, then it's probably not something worth considering. Well, I think one one thing real quick is how where would this title window appear? Um because I think you got to take into account a LeBron regression at some point and a Cav regression, mm-hmm. um, and then something happening with Toronto because they're kind of next in line. I think if we had Paul George, I'd put us closer to Toronto. Um, and you know, barring Boston not making a deal, Paul George is only twenty six, so he's still a couple of years away from what I would say is his peak um, in terms of like athletic performance and mental understanding of the NBA game. Um, so I think if you think, if you are someone who thinks the Cavs are going to regress in the next couple of years and that SVG can make Paul George better uh, and perform better, there's a potential for a window to appear. So I think right there I just kind of talked myself into the possibility of that trade. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Ben, just one, one thing with Paul George because I, I want you to consider this a little bit more. It, and, and maybe you can find a stat while I'm talking. That, that, <laughs> that can, talk yourself that into it like me. That's, that's, that's right. I, do. I, I have a friend who's a Pacers fan that said the one thing that's missing with the Pacers this season is not having Frank Vogel. They've lost all accountability on defense, and that mm-hmm. includes Paul George. And this was a guy who was an all-defensive first-team player just a few seasons ago, and last year was second-team all-defense. So I, I think he can make up for what you might be losing with KCP. Uh, and is also giving you a more efficient and more effective offensive player. Uh, but someone who is going to command a lot more attention in that offense, hopefully he would be able to share that with Reggie better than we've seen Reggie share it at times. Yeah, I mean, I like – so I like Paul George more than I like DeMarcus Cousins. There's no question about it. <laughs> um, I think if you make that trade, you still don't have a bench, and you don't have the tools to get one. So – and then I think you also have to think about, like, okay, is KCP really turning the corner? And what if he has turned a corner, right? What if he does become a career 37% three-point shooter who can get you 16 points a game and play elite defense? 
yeah, that's not nearly as many points as Paul George, of course, but maybe you give up one two, year too early on KCP and you're kicking yourself because you've got to replace CJ Miles in a year or two anyways. You know what I'm saying? Because like, there's nothing in the hopper for shooting guard if CJ Miles is your starter. I mean, he's 29 or 30 right now, right? I mean, uh... do it, Ben. <laughs> Well, fortunately, I'm not making the decision. So Join the dark side of this pod. Get on board. <laughs> the dark side that really likes Paul George and DeMarcus Cousins. Exactly. <laughs> I really like Paul George. I, I do like Paul George a lot. You can meet us in the middle of that one. <laughs> yeah, I like Paul George. And I like C.J. Miles way better than Monte Ellis. So that trade is improving with time. Just let yes, it marinate. And... Let it age a little bit. <laughs> It'll get better. I'm just not, I'm not sure how the Pistons could talk themselves into Monte Ellis at this point. Oh and also God. they would be taking on more money by doing that trade. Yeah. That's, that's what was so ridiculous besides the three first round picks being included in the original rumor. It was Monte Ellis who, while the trade would still be accepted, the Pistons are taking on another, I think four and a half million dollars. I just, I can't see the team doing that. So I feel CJ miles on a more reasonable deal makes a little more sense. And it's also a player that, you know, he's a he's a role player for Indiana. He's a guy that, you know, is a spot starter. Okay, uh, so we, how good do you guys think the Pistons are if they do that trade with George and Miles this season? Forget the draft picks and whatever. Like, over 82 games, how many wins do you expect that roster to win? I would expect 50. I think 50 is the number. Yeah, 55. And I think that's an expectation being second-round playoff matchup at the very least and a home playoff game in the first round. Or a home playoff advantage in the first round. So a top four seed. I mean, without any other team in the East making moves, I'd say conference finals. Okay. So that's probably where, we, like, where we're disagreeing a little bit. Because I, I just don't think George is quite that good. I think he improves them. But I I lean closer to Jordan's direction than I do 55. But, yeah, I mean, I like that trade better than I like the boogie trade. I think – so the question right here is for, for Van Gundy and Bauer – philosophically, are they still playing the long game or are they ready to really radically shake things up, right? Um, and I don't know the answer to that. And it's the question that can haunt many GM coaches that try to make moves to improve what's on the floor uh, when they still have to think, you know, still have to put on the GM hat and also think about the long term, which I will say SVG's done a good job of, but at a certain point you have to think that title window is opening and what do you do to kind of expedite the process? You sign Kevin Durant for agency and make yourself <laughs> there you go. a perennial dynasty. Like that's that's what done. That's right. <laughs> well, that was uh, the end of mailbag questions. Unless you guys have anything you wanted to to throw into the mix, there is there is one name I've been kind of smitten with over the weekend and have been trying to figure out a way to make work, but I don't know if it's possible. And it's C.J. McCollum. Hmm. Okay. Oh. Okay. I think, you know, the problem is he signed that extension in July, so any trade for him would certainly put us in luxury tax, I believe. Um, But if we're going to pay KCP, that's probably going to put us in luxury tax, and Gordas has already said that he's fine with having to pay it if that's what it takes. I like McCollum's three-point percentages and three-point shooting a whole lot better than KCP. I think it might mesh better with the team. What are your guys' thoughts on that name? I, am, I really like CJ McCollum. Yeah, I'll I'm start actually with higher him. on that than I am the other two we've talked about, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. Um, there's no baggage there at all. Like. And I think it's similar to what we did with Tobias, where we trade for a guy who just got extended, and we basically, like, that's our big signing. Like, we don't have yeah. to play the free agency game. We don't have to do recruiting or anything like that. Like, that kind of locks in our starting five for the next few years. Okay, so... And and on the flip side, the Blazers need defense. I mean, their whole, they do. the whole reason I thought about this was because the two teams that kind of had blow-ups this past weekend were the Pistons and the Blazers with what Lillard said after that blowout to Golden State. 
And so if they get a perimeter defender like KCP, that certainly helps them right now and in the future. And I think it kind of solves the your turn, my turn issue they're having in their backcourt right now with Lillard and CJ. So it to me, it feels like a win-win. It's just so hard to trade for CJ McCollum. I think that that's the part that's difficult. Yeah. I think that's what Portland's going to run into is that poison pill. Having him make what three point two, but then it balloons to what is it twenty two million? Yeah, yeah, the number. The number that's that's. I was hesitant to bring it because the numbers are are really tricky to make it work. Yeah, so I don't I don't know the poison pill clause well enough. I would have to play around in the trade machine. I tried. I tried for like an hour before we started recording this. It was I was driving myself nuts. I needed some Ben stats to get. <laughs> Because is it is it that um, CJ, if they trade him, his contract is worth way more in terms of the cap room than it is in actual dollars? Is that how it works? Yeah, you take the average of the five years, so it, I think it's close to $17 million, and that's the number you're trading. Uh, yeah. But the problem is, is that Portland is already over the cap. Yeah. So they okay. can't really take too much back. So you would have to have a third team involved that could take on some of the uh, some of the cap access, I guess. Some of the salary access. Philly? You probably get Philly involved. Yeah, Philly, <laughs> Philly will do anything. Or call Orlando again. We know they like Stan and Jeff. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one, though. I do like CJ McCollum. I, I like the idea of him in a backcourt with Reggie Jackson. Uh, and I can see Portland being very interested in KCP. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense on paper, and I actually really like that one. If it weren't for that stupid poison pill, I don't know how you make that work. I would need time to. Yeah, that'll read be, that'll FAQ. be my homework tonight. <laughs> yes, that's homework for everyone: is yeah. come up with a trade that lands CJ McCollum in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, I think the only way you can make it work is bringing on another team. The Denver Nuggets are a team to consider. They have eighteen million in cap space right now. I, I was able to at least make a trade work that was KCP going to Portland, we get McCollum, and we send Tobias Harris to Denver. Um, that works. Now, it doesn't work for us, but it, it works <laughs> yeah. in terms of money. <laughs> so that's kind of what – that that's the number that you would have to get to is about $20 million going out okay. to make yeah. it work. All right. Well, I, I'm – happy with it. We definitely need to do some more research and figure out a McCollum trade that makes sense. Man, I didn't expect to blow up the pod with that. That was, I feel like we all just went on a real big sidebar. Yeah, it, that <laughs> sent us in a in some weird, you know, internet searches just now. <laughs> that was a lot of like, how does the poison pill work? And trying Red to do math. or blue pill. Yes. The NBA <laughs> trade machine matrix. All right, guys. Well, uh, Jamie, thanks for coming on. We'll definitely have you on again, maybe after the team makes one of these trades, and then we can all boast about how we were right months before. Oh, yes. I'll definitely – I'll be looking at the sign-up sheet for that one. Uh, probably January, <laughs> February. I'll, I'll be eyeing some podcast dates around then. All right. Sounds good. And I definitely want to have you on as well. We've got to talk NBA futures at some point as well. We'll do, we'll do that soon. Oh, yes. Yes. The Pistons really killed right. me this week, but yes, I'm down for that. <laughs> oh, that's